Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Excited to hop back into the Gospel of Mark. Um, We've sort of, as we head into this new section of the Gospel of Mark, uh, we've sort of renamed the series Cross and Crown, which are really the two great themes of the Gospel of Mark, the the crown of Christ, his kingship. And we see sort of Jesus, the action hero uh, throughout the Gospel of Mark, moving from scene to scene, doing incredible signs and wonders, as well as giving teaching. And in some ways, the first half of the Gospel of Mark is in a major key, and all of a sudden, the Gospel of Mark switches to a minor key as Jesus begins his steady and intentional march to the cross. And we see that ultimately that's what it's all been about. And so the title of this series, Cross and Crown, the two themes of the Gospel of Mark. And today we're in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. If you could turn there in your Bible app, um, follow along. I'll be reading out of the ESV. And the title of today's message from this text is called The City of Light. The City of Light. And I pick up in Mark 4.21. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With a measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we commit this time, we sanctify this time uh, to hear. And help us, as you instructed and encouraged in this text, help us to pay attention to what we hear. Because we know it's a matter of life and death. Not only for us, it's a matter of life and death for our city. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to be active in the hearing and preaching of the gospel today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So here's Jesus, sort of still kind of early in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 4. And this this king has come from another world, and he's announcing a new kingdom, a new covenant, a new message in Israel, a message that was shocking to a lot of people, that the God of Israel was actually a God of mercy and grace. They, They didn't know how to make heads or tail of it. The religious community choked on it to the point where They rejected their own Messiah that was foretold and prophesied. The keepers of the word of God who had the prophets and had the law and were awaiting the coming Messiah, he comes and they reject their own Messiah. It's shocking. But Jesus comes and he gives us us an example through his life and his teaching of how he will rule his kingdom, how he will run his kingdom. What are the things that happen when Jesus is in charge? Blind eyes are open. The dead are raised, the the poor hear the good news of the gospel. So a new kingdom, a new covenant, a new message. The message of salvation comes, the gospel of the kingdom, what Paul later calls the gospel of God's grace, synonymous in scripture. And Jesus is telling his disciples as they hear this message, he's telling them and all who hear not to be quiet about it. In contrast to our culture today, which says, oh, you're in a Jesus? Great. Just, just kind of keep that to your, 
you know, your personal, private, little, small Jesus to yourself, and that's great for you. If it works for you, that's good, that's good, it's great. Just don't, don't push on anybody else. Don't, don't be out loud about it. Don't put it on your T-shirt. And Jesus is saying, broadcast it on network TV. Be like neon signs pointing to heaven. Because that is the intent of the message, is that it would go out into all the world. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of my years in music ministry. You know, Heidi and I made 15 albums. I don't know what, it, what the number is, but making an album was always an interesting experience because, especially in the days of CDs, um, you know, people don't really buy CDs anymore. Everything's digital now, of course. Uh, but in the days of CDs, you know, you'd work hours and hours. You'd write these songs and your heart was in these songs. It's kind of like your baby, you know, and, and you go into the studio and you work with producers and, and engineers and, and you work on coloring this song in a way that, you know, you would be satisfied with it and excited about it. And you go through this whole process. It can be months and months and thousands of dollars. You know, I traveled from coast to coast uh, in studios making albums. And then you'd make this album and you'd, you know, you'd buy a certain number of them, you know, for us in Isaiah 6, the years that we did that, we'd buy several thousand albums to start. And it was always this bittersweet experience when the albums would show up, because you put all this work into it, and here comes the UPS truck delivering your albums, and you would expect there to be tens of thousands of people by that UPS truck, just like, it's here! <laughs> but you go out and you pull them off the truck, and just you hear just the birds and the trees, and you know, cars driving by on the road, and you grab the box, and you just go, and set it in the garage, you look around, nobody's around. You're like, dang, I, this is the moment. And you realize, this has to, I gotta get this out there, right? Somehow, and most musicians and artists are terrible, they're great at making albums and they're terrible at marketing albums. That's the great problem of the musician. Probably talk to any independent musician in the Nashville area and they'll tell you that. You gotta, but there's this thing in you, it's like, I gotta get this out there. And, and then the joy that, that you, know, you would get when someone would email you or contact you or write you a letter and say, that song, when I heard that song, you know, and sometimes it would be months and years later, but when I heard that song, it, it impacted me in such a way, and they'd tell the story, and your heart would just be so glad because you have something to share, and you, wanna, you didn't make it to stay in the garage, you made it to get out there. And Jesus is saying, you got a lamp? You gonna go leave it in the garage? You got something to say? You got something beautiful? You gonna put it under a basket so nobody can hear it or see it? No, he says, the lamp is to shine. So take it out into the world. Be like neon signs pointing to Christ. Now understand the backdrop of Jesus saying this. He's talking about light. And the backdrop in which the context in which Jesus was saying this was darkness. It was a very dark time in Israel. The Romans were oppressing people governmentally and physically. The Pharisees were oppressing people spiritually. And they're sort of come, just coming out of what is historically known by Christian historians as the 400 years of silence when no prophet spoke in Israel. And then John the Baptist comes, the last Old Testament prophet, and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And Jesus comes inaugurating the new covenant. But this is a very dark time in, in a lot of ways. So you talk about a tough nut to crack, <laughs> a tough place to start a Christian movement. 
And, you know, people all over the world, good people all over the world, churches and missionaries are, are, are attempting to, you know, sort of start gospel movements and Christian movements. And as somebody who's traveled extensively throughout my years in the body of Christ, overseas, been over 20 countries and uh, all over the United States, we got to work with a lot of pastors in a lot of different cities. And, and it, it always kind of humored me because everywhere I'd go, there would always be a, some Christian there who would kind of give me the ins on their area and tell me why their city was just, it's a tough nut to crack. Like, I don't know about other places, it's really tough here. And they'd give their reasons why. You know, there's this, there's this stronghold of, you know, religiosity or false conversions or false teaching or progressivism. And they kind of give their reason why their city and their area was a hard nut to crack. And, you know, after traveling all those years, I'd put it together and be like, everywhere apparently is a hard nut to crack. You want to talk about a hard nut to crack? How about Jerusalem at the time when Jesus gave the command to his disciples to go out and shine his lights? Nothing compares to Jerusalem at this time. Jesus was just killed there, and yet the bright light of Christ went out through the disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus is sort of having a, a game planning meeting. All right, guys, we, we got to get this word out. We got to shine this light. We got to get this message out. Here's how it's going to go. Okay, don't go anywhere, guys. Please don't do anything until the Holy Spirit indwells you. Please, okay? Just stay put. Holy Spirit indwells you. And then we're going to start in Jerusalem. Now, if I'm there, and I'm one of those disciples in the back, I'm going to be like, Maybe Jesus didn't consider something. I'd be like, yeah, Jesus, yo, I think Jerusalem needs Jesus, you, uh, you know, like anywhere does, okay? <laughs> but can we start outside of Jerusalem? Like, it's really tough here. You were just killed here. They're hunting us. You know, like, you were, they were into you up in Judea and Galilee. Can we just kind of go up there, start up there? And then we'll start a movement there, and it will, you know, it will blaze a trail down to Jerusalem. Can we do it that way? No. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, of all places. Talk about darkness. Roman oppression. The oppression of the Pharisees. The oppression of the religious community who just killed Christ. Acts 1.8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Acts 5.28, we see this story where the disciples are brought and they're arrested for preaching. And here's the accusation brought by their enemies. They say, behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. They did it. In five chapters in the book of Acts. Acts 1.8, Mission Impossible. Isn't there a movie? We are not paid to advertise Mission Impossible here at Redeeming Hope. They do not support us. But it was Mission Impossible. Acts 5.28, Mission Accomplished. They'd filled Jerusalem with their teaching because Jesus told them to. Jesus told them to be bold. He told them to live out loud. Back to the text, verse 21. He said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not a stand? So this answers the question whether our faith should be private and unseen or whether our faith should be bold. Not rude but bold. Should our faith be private and unseen? The resounding answer here, of course, is no. That a candle is made to be placed on a candlestick and shine. 
That's the purpose of it. And he says in verse 22, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And the message here is, whatever you truly are will come out. Because the nature of, li- of the light of Christ in you is that it wants to come out. It needs to come out, right? Like the prophet said, woe to me, or Paul said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And the prophet said, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. It must come out. It wants to come out. It will come out. That light will shine. It's its nature. So that the nature of the gifts and grace of God within the nature is to shine. It was designed to do nothing else. So if his, light, if his light is truly within, it seeks to find its way out. But what Jesus is saying is that's also true of sin. You can't be a fake Christian forever. What you are will truly come out eventually. What is done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. So whether that's the grace of God within that must come out or whether that's indwelling sin, where you're a hypocrite and being fake, that will also come out. Verse 23 says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This tells us that Jesus is speaking about spiritual things that require spiritual ears. I mean, of course, everybody has, everybody that was there had natural ears, so he can't be talking about the natural ears. He was talking about spiritual hearing. He's revealing that there are those who, who will hear him preach and yet not perceive because they are spiritually dead and dead men can't hear. But that if your heart is drawn to this light, if your heart recognizes this light, it's because he's made you alive by his grace. His grace is working in you and he wants you to shine. And maybe just briefly as a side note, why didn't God provide spiritual ears for some to hear? Why did he provide ears for some and not for others? For example, why didn't the Pharisees see or hear who were in his hearing? They were spiritually dead. They they couldn't grasp. They couldn't receive what he was saying. And one of the thousand reasons is because God has planned and had planned all along for Jesus to go to the cross, the cross and crown. Acts 4 gives us some insight into this idea. Peter, in preaching, says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So why didn't God give everybody spiritual ears? Because God had planned the cross. And through the rejection of Christ and the rejection of the gospel came the crucifixion and the resurrection and the inauguration of the church. So God had plans in this whole thing, even in the lack of hearing of those who were stuck in their spiritual deadness and their sin. So Jesus was calling those with ears to hear, to shine as lights in the world. And Matthew's gospel, we're in Mark, Matthew's gospel records this same sermon, but gives, gives us a little more detail. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 15. Here's how Jesus said it there. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So, the rest of our time, how do we shine light? Let's look at the two metaphors that Jesus gives here in Mark and Matthew. A candle and a city. A candle and a city. How do we shine light? First, we shine as a candle or a lamp. 
A candle is lit to create light. Now think about the intent of the person lighting the candle. The person lighting the candle intends that it would shine and provide light in the darkness so that we can see and we can be about our activities and be about our business and have a guide. So light has a purpose and a place. So that's the first part of a candle is it has purpose and it has intention. Like Jesus is pointing that out. You don't, put it, you don't light it to put it under a bowl. The, the intent of the, of the lighter was to shine. And so the very fact that a candle exists and was lit means that the candle has great purpose given by the one who lit it up. Number two, I want you to think about the scope of the light of a candle. And this is a really interesting point. A candle can only light what's around it. A candle can't light a whole city, can it? A candle can't light an entire nation. A candle can only light the context in which the candle is lit, maybe a room, maybe a certain part of the street. And that tells us something about the intent and the purpose for each of our lives individually. God's intent is that you would light what's around you. A candle cannot light a whole city, but together, when all the candles are lit and shine brightly, together those candles can light a whole city. And that is God's plan for how to shine light in the world and how to shine light in nations and how to shine light in cities and how to shine light in schools, is that every single one of us would accept that purpose we have from being raised from the dead, having ears to hear, and being lit up by the Holy Spirit and by the gospel and become lights where we are. Your job is not to save the whole world. Isn't that great? Doesn't that free you up? You don't have to save the whole world. You don't even have to save the whole city. You just have to light up where you are. You know, when, when we say the call of God, you might think of a lot of things, you know, especially in my upbringing, you say the call of God and you think of like missionaries and intercessors and full-time ministry and pastoral work and, you know, this kind of evangelism. But I think when you would say that phrase to the early church, I think they would think of their context. So the call of God to Paul, evangelistically, was his tent-making world and the places where he would preach the gospel when he would go to different cities. The context for, you know, a basket weaver was the basket weaving community. The context for a mother was when she was hanging out with the other mothers in her village. That's the place where we shine light. And that's liberating. It is for me because I know in those years that I was in... um, involved in music and evangelistic ministry and traveling ministry, there's always this, there's always this like lure to the next level. Like you gotta, you gotta reach more people. You gotta have a bigger impact. You gotta be on more radio stations. You gotta, you gotta have bigger concerts and bigger gigs and bigger, and it's just like this lure to the next level. And it was a trap and it got to the point where I got pretty discouraged over the years at what impact I was not having and places I was not performing and uh, places where people could not hear my messages or my music. And it, and it became an idol for me, and it became a problem. And the, the wisdom that the Lord gave me in prayer that kind of freed me from this is I really, I really sensed the Holy Spirit say to me during one season of prayer, Derek, I, I'm the Savior of the world, not you. So stop trying to change the world and start changing your world. And I began to think, well, what is my world? Well, my world is my family. It's my wife and my children. It's the church that I'm a part of. It's the community group I'm a part of. It's 
at the time, the places where I'm traveling this next week, maybe to this smaller church or to this conference. And, you know, whether it's a small gathering or a big gathering, that is my world. And my only responsibility before the Lord is to be faithful to the one or the two, or in my case, my six children, or wherever God sends me, to be faithful to preach the gospel well and encourage people in their faith and disciple people in the context that he's given me, that I'm a candle and I can only shine in the context that I'm in. And I want you to think about that for your own life. Where is your context? Where is your candle supposed to shine light? Why was it designed? Why were you put on a lampstand? That's where you have to be faithful. And there's freedom in that. Don't worry about the people you're not reaching, the places you're not going. If God wants to open up other doors for you, he can do that, and he can do it very quickly. But he doesn't have to. For you to have a very fulfilling purpose in your life and a very fulfilling place to spread the gospel of the kingdom and spread the light of Christ in your home, in your community, in your city, at your work, in your school, on your sports team, wherever that is, that's your world. Stop trying to change the world and start changing your world. It'll free you up when you start thinking that way. And I remember one of my mentors, my senior missionary in Africa, Granger Angel, who was known, (laughs) we just went and saw uh, the new Indiana Jones movie last night. Well, Granger Angel career missionary in Africa. I went and stayed with him for my gap year out of high school. He was known as the real Indiana Jones. And he was so far removed from uh, American society that when I met him, you know, all kinds of crazy adventures for Jesus. When I met him, I said, do you know that in America you're known as the real Indiana Jones? And he goes, who's Indian Jones? I was like, that's kind of cool, actually. I had no idea who he is. He's just so far removed from the West, you know. Uh, But he told me one time, because, of course, I wanted to glean from this guy. He said, he said Derek, he said, let me, let me tell you something that's going to change your life in a good way. He goes, everywhere you go, every store that you're in, right? every time you pump gas at a gas station, every time you're walking down the street, just ask God the simple question. God, how can you use me here? Ask him. And he said, he's always got an answer. And sometimes it's just, you get the milk and go home. Your wife's waiting to, you know, she, she needs the butter for the meal that, you know, she sent you up. So it, it's, it doesn't always mean that I have this amazing, fantastic divine appointment. Sometimes it just means I'm faithful to do the little mundane things. But just to have that kingdom mindset that I'm a candle and I'm to shine light. And sometimes that light looks like serving my wife. Sometimes that light looks like opening my mouth and talking about Christ and witnessing what he's done in my life to other people. So how do we shine light? As candles. And that says a lot about your purpose and your context. And I think in that metaphor, there is maybe a little more um, individualistic view of the call to shine light. But the next metaphor, I think, gives us the the picture of the church working together. And and that's the metaphor of the city. And what the Bible actually teaches, you know, Jesus said, you're a city on a hill. What the Bible teaches, actually, is that we're actually called to be a city within a city. Let me explain I'll let the Bible explain for itself in Isaiah 26, verses 1 through 5. The prophet Isaiah contrasts two cities coexisting in one place. One is called the strong city, and one is called the lofty city. And I'll explain that in a minute, but let's look at the text. This is Isaiah 26, 1 through 5. In that day, this song shall be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for our walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on thee because 
he has trusted in thee. And I'm reading out of the King James ESV, sorry. Verse 4, trust the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock, for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. Okay, so you see the two cities there? The strong city and the lofty city. You might call this the tale of two cities. And the strange thing about these two cities is that they coexist in the same location. One city, which verse 1 calls the strong city, is God's city. It's a spiritual place, but also a geographic place in the sense that the people who are part of God's kingdom are the ones who constitute the construction of this city. It's a city of salvation. It's a city of rest. It's a city of peace. The second city, what verse 5 calls the lofty city, is the city of fallen man, where arrogance rules, where people mistreat each other and dominate each other where there's no peace and no rest. And what God is calling us to do here in Clarksville is to build that strong city within the lofty city, a city within a city, a community within a community. It has a different culture. It has a different vibe. It has a different feel. It has a different worldview. It has different principles that guide it. It has a different power source, a place that people can come to that is in contrast to what they normally see. A city where they are not beaten down, where they can find peace and community and rest. You know, uh, uh, Heidi and I went to a gathering, a small gathering in a a local uh, pastor's house, I guess, Glenn Campbell. (laughs) Um, And uh, we spent some time in prayer there. And and as I was praying, one of the things I like to do is I I like to take my kind of big, elaborate prayers, you know, how how do you pray for a city, or how do we pray for a church, or how do I pray for my kids? And I like to boil it down in what I call capsule prayers, just one word or phrases that kind of encapsulates the whole thing, and a phrase that I can constantly be reminding the Lord that every time my heart is hit with a burden for the city, what do I ask for? And that night, I really felt like uh, I was was praying, and I had this picture of uh, of this clover coming down over Clarksville, um, a three-leaf clover. And, uh, and I thought, I wonder, wonder what, that, what that means. How is that significant? And historically, a clover, uh, when you're looking at it through the grid of Scripture, indicates three things, either the Trinitarian view of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or it means faith, hope, and love. So you combine those ideas of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit expressing him, himself through faith, hope, and love. And that's really helped kind of create my capsule prayer for the city of Clarksville, that even just yesterday I was driving around and my heart was hit with a burden for the city. And I'm like, faith, hope, and love, Lord. In the churches and in the streets, that's what we need. Rest, peace, hope, love toward one another. The eradication of legalism from the churches and moralism from the churches being the fundamental way that people approach God. And Lord, a city of grace, a message of grace, a gospel-centered church in the city that is expressing itself through faith, hope, and love. And that even people in our city would be impacted by the gospel who don't even believe it because faith, hope, and love is being expressed toward them. And they're seeing the light of Christ. A city within a city, that's our culture. We're not the business, we're not we talked about, you know, coming out of the elder series, an elder is not a CEO, right? We're not a, we're not a business. We're not a corporation. Right? We're, we're unlike anything that is in this world we're supposed to be. We're, we're the kingdom of God. Our kingdom is a kingdom where our King Jesus leads us as the king of grace with a message of grace. And it's expressed through the idea of faith, 
hope and love in our culture, in our hearts, in our homes, in our city, our communities, and as we interact with people. You can join me in that prayer in the days to come. Then Jesus says in verse 24 through 25, the end of our text here today, he says, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This can be, this, this, these comments can be confusing in the context of what he's saying. What exactly is Jesus getting at here? And I think to really understand these words, we have to understand the bigger context of this text of Scripture and what he's saying, because these words are actually a callback to the sermon he's been preaching to them. And, of course, we have to go back months because we're just resuming the Gospel of Mark. But one of the last messages we preached, the text that we preached, was the parable of the sower, which comes right before this. And Jesus is actually, in, this, in these comments, uh, these comments are said in the context of kind of buttoning up the parable of the sower. And in that parable, he says that the seed falls in different places, some, the seed of the word of God. And some of the seed falls and is stolen by birds right away. Some has no root and it withers. Some seed is choked by thorns, representing the cares of this world. And some of the seed bears fruit. And now Jesus is telling you and me, where, we, where and how we ought to think and live in the context of the parable of the sower. How do we bear fruit? How do we become shining lights? And he says this, I think to summarize it, pay attention to what you hear. That was timely. Don't let the birds come and eat it. That bird. Right? Pay attention to what you hear and apply it to your life. In other words, listen in such a way that you plan to receive what you hear in the way that it goes down into your heart like a seed goes into the ground of your heart. And I believe what Jesus is saying here when he says the measure you use will be measured to you, I think he's saying that you should be greedy for God in your life. You should be greedy for the word of God in your life. Use a large measure Put a lot in, because as you do, he'll give you more, he'll bless you more, you'll be more fruitful, and your light will shine brighter. But if you don't, he's saying you'll lose even what you have. You'll lose your witness. You'll lose the joy of the, of the experience that you have with the Word of God. You may be saved, but you lose the display of God's glory in your life. God is generous. He wants to fill you. He wants to satisfy you. He wants to fill your life with himself. And the nature of grace is that the more you give into it, the more you receive. You know what I think God's plan for the world is? I'll say it this way, using a business analogy. God's plan for the world is satisfied customers. How many of you would want to go to a restaurant of which I said, hey, where, want to get together for lunch? Sure, where do you want to go? There's this restaurant that I really do, I don't like it there at all. Really don't like the food, but I ought to go there. You know, I, it's just I got a friend who owns the business, and I really should go. You know, the food. You know, it doesn't even compare to what Josh makes when you go over to his house. You know, uh, just uh, not not very. But you want to go there? Any any takers? Why don't you want to go there? Because the guy who has been there ain't satisfied. There's a book I read years ago called The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. And uh, 
the author was talking about how she met this guy, and, and he seemed to have a spiritual hunger. And she said, well, have you ever considered the Christian faith? He goes, why would I want to become a Christian? Christians are the most miserable people I know. And she's like, he was right, and there's something wrong with that. How are we to be shining lights for Christ if we're miserable and if we're not satisfied customers? Jesus wants to satisfy you with himself, and he does that through the hearing and the receiving of his word into your hearts and how that builds you up, builds your mind, builds your spirit, and builds up your heart, and the way the Holy Spirit works through that. The Spirit and the word are one. They agree. In other words, as we receive the word, God's Spirit works in that. We begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. We experience the presence of God. God wants to satisfy us, and in our satisfaction, we go forth as satisfied people, as people who have been healed by grace, healed by Christ, healed by the gospel, and we go out into the city as shining lights, as satisfied customers, and that's the place I want to go. I'm not saying we'd be fake about it, but I'm saying that we, 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 uh, we are greedy for God's word in a way that we bring it into our lives, we experience the joy of it, the life of it, the healing of it, and we go out as satisfied people. There's a story that's told of a servant that went to his king before his own wedding, and he asked for a great sum from the king. The other servants were offended that this servant would dare ask for that much, but the king wasn't offended at all. He said, this servant has honored me. That he would ask for so great a sum tells me that he believes I am not only wealthy, but generous. And that's how God wants us to approach him. He wants us to receive from him, to see him as generous, and to believe that when he said that he wants to satisfy his followers, he wants to fill us, that he indeed will do that. God is generous in the greatest place. We see the generosity of God, of course, is in the giving of his own son. What could he give more than that? This isn't the only time that Jesus talked about light. In John chapter 8, verse 12, look at what Jesus said about light there. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them. I don't know if we have that scripture. Did I give that one? Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. No, see, John 8. Do you have John 8? There it is. I am the, I am the light of the world. Okay. In Matthew, he said, you are the light of the world. Now, here he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said this on the last night of what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was an annual feast that was celebrated by the Jewish people, a celebration commemorating and sort of picturing, sort of, you know, re, recreating Israel's journey out of Egypt through the wilderness where they lived in tents. And during this Feast of Tabernacles, there was a great candelabra that was lit in the temple during this feast, representing the pillar of fire that guided God's people through the wilderness. Remember that miraculous pillar of fire that God would provide to guide them, to give them fire by night, and even to protect them from their enemies. Jesus said this on the last night of the feast after the great candelabra was snuffed out. And Jesus said this in the part of the temple where that candelabra would have been lit. And when that candelabra went out, it was sort of a prophetic picture of the light 
of God going out in Israel. I mentioned the context of Jesus saying these things was very oppressive. 400 years of silence. The light had gone out. And there in that spot, Jesus announces that he is the light of the world. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, I am the pillar of fire that guided the Hebrews through the wilderness. I am the light of life. That's why he said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You're on your own wilderness journey to the promised land. Follow me and I will be your pillar of light. I will be your light of life. That's why he said those following him won't walk in darkness, but they'll have the light of life. Like the Hebrews had the pillar to light their way, so Jesus is the light of all men. He would bring that light into the world through the darkest hour of his own life when he would go to the cross. Like Josh said last week, he said, when he's lifted up from the earth, he will draw all men unto himself. You talk about a, a light being put up on top of a candle stand, the cross. He lit the world through the cross. And the Bible says that as Jesus was dying, darkness fell over the whole world. That's not figurative. Darkness actually fell over the whole world from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. And that would have been from 12 noon to 3 p.m. That's why that was so amazing. Three hours of darkness. What's the message? Jesus died in darkness so we could have the light of life. The cross was piercing through the darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But then today's text in Mark and Matthew, he says, you are the light of the world. How are those both true? They're both true because Jesus made a way for us to join in his light. As we trust in him and his work on the cross, it's through faith in the cross that we welcome his light into our hearts and his light into our lives. His spirit indwells us and we become shining lights in our world for him. So let's build this city within a city, folks. That's what we're doing. Let's build this community within a community. Let's build this city of light here in Clarksville. I believe many, many, many people will come to the light in the days to come because we believe this gospel that I'm preaching to you today. Let's be faithful and persevere until we see God doing that. He is doing it. And until we see that, completed in our day and in our lives. And we can pass it along to the next generation so that if the Lord tarries 10 generations from now, there will still be a city of light here in Clarksville because of what we're doing here right now. You know what's amazing to me as a church planner? I was telling Heidi the other day, you know how many original members there are in Grace Life Church in Western New York that we planted uh, 11 years before we moved here? You know how many original members there are? Zero. Zero. And yet, same gospel, same light, same life, shining through God's people there. So we have to understand what we're doing right now is important, not only for us, but for future generations of Christians, whether it's our biological children or our spiritual children that will come through our church. I don't know if 10 years from now, will any of us be here? I don't know. Will we be here? We don't know. We don't know what God has planned. But let's be faithful and shine light so that future generations can have a beachhead here through redeeming hope to shine, to continue to shine that light and be a lighthouse in a dark world here as well. Amen? Application. Five quick things. Number one, be greedy for God's word. God is generous. Just continue to put yourself in places where you can hear and receive and understand and grow in the gospel and grow in the life of the Spirit. 
that is given us through God's word, that seed that we see in the parable of the sower. Sow it in your heart. Sow it in your family. Sow it in your marriage. Sow it in your mind and your spirit. Number two, stir your spiritual affections. I'll say it this way. Find things that stir up your spiritual affections and do those things on repeat. And it might be different for different people. You know, some people, you like to get up at 5 a.m. with the sun, right? And as you're staring out at the sun with the Bible open, you know, God just ministers to you. Some people don't know that 5 o'clock comes twice a day. Uh, I know my wife Heidi, for years, her putting worship music on and going out for a jog, she would just have these moments with God. She'd come back and, you know, wiping her, the tears from her eyes as she was worshiping God on her run. Or maybe recently I've been putting my AirPods in and using our Bible reading plan uh, and just playing scripture as I go out for walks in the community, praying for the community while I'm listening to scripture. I love it. It just, it fills me. It stirs my spiritual affections. Maybe it's a different time of day for you, but find what what works for you. What stirs your spiritual affections and, and do that so that you can continue to stir up that light within. Number three, find ways to love people. And it's actually connected to number four, create context for that light. Identify things you like to do and do them with not yet Christians. So what do you enjoy doing? What are the natural ways that you interact with people, the activities you enjoy, the hobbies you enjoy, the things you enjoy doing? And see if you can leverage those things to create context to shine the light of Christ. You know, for our family, it's no secret. For years, we've been involved in the wrestling community, right? We enjoy that. We love the wrestling community. We love people in the wrestling community. We, we love the development that that gives for our children and the community that that provides for our children. And over the last 15 years, it's put us in places from youth wrestling right up through <clears throat> the Olympic uh, trials, just being there as, as a member of the media and you know, just knowing all the people in the wrestling community at that level, we're able just to shine light in all these spheres and places for Christ. And now, because my kids are out in that world, like arrows, we shoot them out, and they're hitting targets that I won't hit myself. That's just sort of a fast-forward the tape, 15 years in now, of finding something that we enjoy doing and doing it with unbelievers, doing it with not-yet-Christians has been a beautiful way to glorify God and shine light for Him. And then number five, make the most of opportunities to share your faith. Scripture says that, make the most of every opportunity. And sometimes they don't come when you schedule them. Sometimes the call comes in, you're tired, it's the end of a day of work, like knock comes at the door right now. You've been praying for this, bro. You've been praying for this, sister. Yeah, take your shot, right? It's an opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. God will give you the grace, he'll give you the strength, and you won't regret that. Let's build this city of light. Amen. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.